are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Our passage for today is John 20, 19 to 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hand the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to Sojourn. It's good to gather with you in person and online. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, please come up and say hello afterwards. I'd love to be able uh, to meet you. Before we jump into the end of John chapter 20, though, I just want to invite you to pray with me. So would you pray with me now? Oh, resurrecting and redeeming God, we come together before you right now in this moment. And God, we're grateful for the gift of gathering together. We're grateful for the gift of your word, your living and active word, where we learn who you are and we learn who we are in light of who you are. And so God, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would bless us now because we are here sitting under your word. Enliven us by your spirit, God. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear and see today. Use your word to help us to be faithful to who you've called us to be. So we submit this time to you. We pray for you to work in it. In the name of Christ, amen. Currently, uh, my workplace is in my basement. And the other day I got up and I went upstairs to go do something or look for something. But when I got up there, I couldn't remember what it was that I had gotten up to go do in the first place. Have you ever had that experience like that? where you go into somewhere, maybe it's your coworker's cubicle or you're in the grocery store and all of a sudden you're like, why am I here? I don't remember what I'm supposed to be asking or getting or doing. Now generally we can laugh that off as just a funny part of life. But I wonder, 
how many times in life that we do actually forget what we're supposed to do? Like, why are we here? Why are we here? I mean, have you, are you ever tempted to live an aimless life without vision or direction or purpose, just kind of going about your day, going about your week or your life haphazardly, passively? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus already, why are you here? Of course, you could answer to glorify God, and that's right and true. God has called us to glorify him in our lives, but that's something we can do in eternity, in the presence of God forever and ever. So why are you here now? I mean, if God has saved you from your sin through the finished work of Christ on the cross, cross, why didn't he just take you home? Why didn't he just bring you into glory with him forever? Why are you still here? The simple answer is, he has work for you to do. Work for you to take part in for his glory and the good of others. Work that if we see it this way, is a privilege for us to participate in as God is redeeming and restoring what sin has destroyed. As we come to our text today, we see that the risen Jesus gives his closest followers, his disciples, and in turn us, marching orders for why we are here. He gives us vision and direction for what we're supposed to be doing until he returns or calls us home. Vision and direction that's rooted in his resurrection. And so my hope for you today is twofold. If you don't yet know Jesus, my hope for you today is that you'll see him and that you'll believe in him and that you'll be made new. If you're already a follower of Christ, my hope for you is that you'll see Jesus and believe in Jesus and then go and tell the world of your risen redeemer. So with that, let's jump into John chapter 20 and may we see Jesus more clearly today. As we walk through our text today, I wanna break it down into three sections, but we're gonna spend most of our time in section one. And this kind of first point, this first part of this passage, the second two sections are gonna serve as an example and kind of undergird what we see in the first part as we move forward together. So the first section is the seeing are sent. We see this in verses 19 through 23. Man, last week was awesome. We got to gather together for Easter Sunday. We got to celebrate the fact that Christ isn't still in the grave. There's no place to go visit his tomb because Jesus is alive. He's risen. And we got to experience that and celebrate that by looking at the experiences that Mary and Peter and John had in encountering Christ and in seeing the empty tomb. We learned that seeing led to believing and believing to seeing. I mean, the resurrection is the exclamation point on the statement Jesus made in John chapter 19 as he hung on the cross, it is finished. It's the exclamation point that it is, really is finished. It's a declaration of victory and because of that, everything has changed. Life has come in places of death for all who believe. And it was a big day for those few disciples of Jesus. But we see that that day isn't over. It's still Easter. Look at verse 19, the beginning of it. It says, on the evening of that day, on the day that Jesus rose from the grave, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, we don't know exactly how many disciples are gathered together in this room, but we know at least the 10 disciples are in this room together. They're holed up in this room. They're hiding behind closed doors because they're afraid. They're fearful right now. That's understandable. 
I mean, they've just seen Jesus crucified or at least heard about it because many of them weren't there. And maybe if they've even already heard from Mary and Peter and John that they've seen Christ, that he's raised from the grave, they're still afraid of Jesus's enemies. Like, what if those people come after us too? What if they do the same thing that they did to Jesus to us? And many of them have still not seen the risen Christ, but that's about to change and their fear is about to evaporate. Look at the rest of verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. You know, sometimes I have a meeting in the evening or I'm out at community group and, and Amy's at home with the kids. And after all the kids are in bed is the time she most often will take a shower or dry her hair. And so when I'm coming home, I try to let her know that I'm coming home because she has the hair dryer going. So it's hard to hear if anything's going on in the house. And so I'm like, I gotta let her know and text, but Sometimes I forget to do that, and so I'm trying to let her know that I'm in the house, but all of a sudden she's drying her hair and looks up in the mirror, and there I am, boom. It's like terrifying, right? Like there's a person standing behind you. I know, I need to work on that. Boom, that's right. The disciples are sitting there, they're talking, they're waiting, and then boom, Jesus is there. He comes and appears before them and stands among them. I mean, that would have been startling for them. All of a sudden, to see Christ before them. They didn't know he was coming. Most of them hadn't seen him since he was arrested and subsequently crucified. And so to calm and quiet their racing hearts, he greets them. He says, peace be with you. It's one of three times he says it in this passage. Peace be with you. This is a traditional greeting, but there's more to it in this instance. I mean, think about what's happened so far. His closest followers have abandoned him. They've left him in his hour of need. And Jesus comes and stands before them, but he doesn't bring rebuke. He doesn't bring correction. He doesn't bring blame. He brings peace. I mean, can you imagine this scene? These freaked out disciples behind a closed and locked door. Jesus shows up and speaks to them. They're looking at him and they're looking at one another and they're backing up and they're looking at him and they're looking at one another. Their hair standing on their necks. Like what in the world is going on? But Jesus, the good and gentle shepherd that he is, is gracious to them. He says, peace be with you. And then, he, when, then verse 20, it says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus assures them it really is him. You, you know that I was crucified. You know that I was dead and buried. See my wounds now. It really is me. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not a hallucination or a delusion. I'm really here standing right in front of you. So what happens for the rest of verse 20? They were glad. They were glad when they saw him. Let me ask you, are you glad when you see Jesus? Does it bring joy to your heart when you look on him in his word and in his people? Man, I want you to be, I want you to experience gladness and joy overwhelmingly so as you look on Christ, it'll make all the difference and as you find yourself in the midst of a world that's racked by sin and difficulty and distraction. Friends, let's not forget our savior, your redeemer is risen. He is risen indeed. The disciples were sorrowful and confused but now their sorrow turns to joy, just like Jesus said it would in John chapter 16. It really is him. Jesus really is alive. 
Now, I can imagine in this moment, though, their heads are, are still spinning a bit, their hearts beating fast, their adrenaline pumping, feelings of joy and shock of being overwhelmed all in the same moment. So what happens? Does Jesus say, guys, sorry to toy with your emotions. I tried to tell you that I had to do this. I tried to tell you I was going to go to the cross and be raised from the grave. But now that we're back together, man, let's just hang out. Talk about how you're feeling. No, it's not what Jesus says at all. Look at the beginning of verse 21. Again, peace be with you. See, this isn't just a greeting Jesus is giving. Jesus is making a declaration over his disciples. You're fearful of the world? Peace be with you. You're struggling to believe? Peace be with you. See the nail holes in my hands? My feet, peace be with you. See the wound in my side, peace be with you. Friends, I'm here. Peace be with you. In Hebrew, this phrase is shalom alechem. Shalom is what we translate to the word peace, but it's so much more encompassing than what we tend to think about with peace. Peace is often for us just the absence of conflict. But the word, this Hebrew word shalom is about restoration. It's about wholeness and completeness. When the shalom of God has come, it's light in the midst of darkness. It's healing in places of brokenness. It's freedom in places of slavery. It's restoration and reconciliation. So Jesus says, peace be with you. Shalom be with you. Why does he say this to these disciples in this moment? Why does he repeat it to them after he showed them his wounds and his hands and his feet and his side? Because the shalom of God has come. Because Jesus is alive. Peace has come because Jesus has been resurrected. He's definitively defeated every enemy that we have, Satan, sin, and death. See, we should see peace be with you as the complimentary statement to Jesus' declaration, it is finished. You can have peace because it's finished. See, peace must be the mark of the message of the church. You can have peace with God through Christ. You, through Christ, can have peace with one another, regardless of your background, or what you look like, or where you come from, or how much you have, or how much you don't have. You can have peace with one another through Christ. Through Christ, we can spread this peace as God's people to the world around us. And that's exactly where Jesus goes. Look at verse 21, the whole verse. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Sin has been defeated. Redemption has come. Jesus is risen. The disciples are joyful, but there's work to be done. The mission continues. People now need to hear about this. People need to know and they need to believe. And Jesus is saying to them, and I am sending you to tell them. Jesus was sent by the Father for our rescue. He was sent to proclaim freedom to captives and lay down his life in our place as a substitute for our sin, that all who trust in him might die to sin and live to righteousness. But now Jesus, who was the sent one, becomes the sender. He becomes the sender. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, he says. I'm sending you to proclaim this good news to the nations. And this fires me up. I mean, this is the beginning of global mission. This small group of people gathered in this room, he's saying, I am sending you out to tell the world that I'm alive. But it leaves me asking a question. Like, these guys? The disciples? The same group who abandoned you and denied you? 
Really, Jesus? There's not someone better, a better plan to take your message to the world? Jesus is saying, yes, this is exactly who I'm going with. This is exactly who I'm sending because at the end of the day, the only way and the only reason that these disciples or any other disciple that will ever live is going to go out into the world instead of staying huddled up in a room, instead of staying scared and terrified is because I am the risen king who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, who goes with them and who holds all things together. See, the mission of God will go forward through the people of God so that only God gets the glory when someone crosses from death to life. That means that Jesus' disciples, they don't take over Jesus' mission, they continue it. They join him in it to bring the word of the king and the influence of his kingdom. I mean, think about this. These once scared disciples have seen Christ and now the seeing are sent. So how will they do that? And what is it that they're going to do? He tells us in the next few verses. Look at verses 22 and 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus had promised them the Holy Spirit earlier in John. He said the Spirit would come and he would be a helper and he would guide them and teach them and remind them of all that Jesus had said to them. But now Jesus connects the Spirit to the mission of God. He's not just going to help teach you. He's not just going to bring things to mind for you. No, he's going to empower you. He's going to enable you to proclaim the kingdom of God and the peace of God that comes only through the Son of God. Now, verse 23 sometimes can trip people up, but it doesn't have to. It's not some superpower or privilege that anyone is given to forgive sins or withhold forgiveness from sins. It's the role of the messenger to proclaim the message of the gospel, to deliver this message that is life to some and death to others. See, when the goodness of the gospel is preached, there's a response that comes. Some will will believe, others will reject it. The church isn't given the authority to withhold salvation or grant salvation, the church, the role of the church is to affirm it, that someone has crossed from death to life or still remains in his or her sin. That's why church membership is so important. It's why we commit to one another. What we're saying to one another is, brother, sister, I affirm your faith in you and you in me. Let's keep walking together in this. That's all he's talking about here. And we will do that as we continue to faithfully and clearly preach the gospel with one another and to one another. I love that in this we see a picture of the Trinity though. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all mentioned. The Trinity is engaged and central in the mission of God. So is the resurrection. If Jesus isn't raised, there's no mission. If Jesus is still dead, he's not Lord. But Jesus is alive, and Jesus is raised, and he is Lord, and it changes everything. Seeing Jesus fuels mission. It fuels it, not just for these disciples, but for us too. As we look on Christ, as we're captivated by him, as we fix our gaze on him, it compels us to this place of overwhelmingly needing to tell somebody about the grace we've experienced, about our Savior, who's our only hope in life and death. We exist as a local church because Jesus is raised. We exist because he sent his disciples into the world to proclaim this message of the gospel. And by grace, through faith, many of you have believed. 
I mean, this is crazy. Someone told you about Christ. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a random person on the street or a, someone in your community or on campus. But someone communicated this gospel message to you. Because these disciples listened to Jesus and they went. And now we are sent just like the disciples were sent. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. And this is not an optional add-on for your life as a follower of Christ. It's not like getting toppings on a pizza, right? Like, it says I can get two, maybe I'll add a third one. It's not like an excursion on a cruise. Like, I'm on my cruise and I can spend a little extra money and go do some extra stuff if I want to, but I don't have to. No, this is the call to every follower of Jesus. It's a part of your identity now. You, if you are in Christ, are a commissioned missionary of Jesus, an ambassador of the gospel of reconciliation to a lost and hurting world that so desperately needs grace. But just like the disciples then, you don't go at it alone. This isn't something for you to muster up your own strength and ability and the words to communicate. No, you, if you're in Christ, are filled with the same spirit that they were, the spirit of God. And you're a part of a community, a family, a body of believers. We go together to do this. So what this means then, is that we as the church always want to be the church sent and sending, never the church settled. We're the church sent and sending, never the church settled. Listen, seeing Jesus fueled mission for the first disciples and it does for us as well. This is who we're called to be. If you don't wanna live an aimless life, if you wanna have direction and vision and purpose for your life, Jesus has given you a compelling picture of what that looks like here. It's what we're called to do. If Jesus is raised, then we need to go and tell the world. We need to go tell our neighbors and the nations. We have confident hopes as a church, things we wanna see God do in the life of our church and our community. And two of those confident hopes are directly connected to this. One of them is overflowing evangelism and frequent conversion. And the other is being intentionally sending. And we long to be a church where all members are equipped and actively engaged in taking the message of the gospel to people around them. And that we're seeing people from all spiritual backgrounds and all parts of life coming to know and follow Jesus. Like your neighbor right now that you know doesn't know Christ or your coworker or your classmate or your family member that we're going out, that we together are going out and sharing the message of Christ with them and that we're seeing them come to know him. We long to be a church that's actively, intentionally training and developing and sending local and global missionaries and seeing churches planted all over the world seeing men and women raised up from this church and sent out. And you know what? God has been doing that work in this church over the last eight and a half years. Some of you have been saved in the context of this community, baptized at this church. We've seen a church planted. We've supported dozens and dozens of church plants. We've sent a missionary full-time overseas. We're about to send another one. Man, God has done this work in and through this community. We're seeing this lived out. We're getting to be a part of this. And now, as we move forward in this new iteration of our church, as we join together with Redeeming Grace Church, we will continue to be this kind of church, to strive to be the church sent and sending and never the church settled. So who is it that we're supposed to go to? Who is it that we're supposed to bring this message to? Well, Jesus, Jesus said he came to seek and to save 
the lost. And if we're sent just as Jesus was sent, then that's who we're to go to as well. In this next section, we really see a picture of that. Skeptics are saved. It gives us an example. Look at verses 24 through 28. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Then Thomas had been around Jesus. He'd heard Jesus teach. He'd seen Jesus do different signs and miracles, but he hadn't yet fully believed in a way to be saved from his sin. He's an example of a skeptic who says, I won't believe unless I see. He wants people to prove the resurrection to him, but they don't even have to do that because Jesus shows up and he says once again, peace be with you. He wasn't there when Thomas uttered his demands, but Jesus knows the heart of humanity and Jesus knows the heart of Thomas. Thomas demanded proof, and so Jesus shows him himself and he calls him to not disbelieve, but to believe, not to mental assent, but to faith and trust, not to scientific proof. He calls Thomas to salvation. Once Jesus speaks to Thomas and shows him his wounds, the wounds by which he actually rescued Thomas out of his sin, the wounds which rescue Thomas out of his unbelief, Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God. He makes this clear confession of faith. Jesus really is Lord, the one over all things. He really is God. The skeptic is saved. And now Thomas has seen, and so now Thomas is sent. And Jesus speaks a word to Thomas that's an encouragement to us. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. The fact that we don't see him physically like they did, but we can still believe. Now, maybe some of you find yourself in a place of disbelief. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're either questioning the faith that you once professed, or you've never been a follower of Jesus, but you're checking things out and you are here with a friend. Maybe you resonate with Thomas. I won't believe until I see. If that's you, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you and call you to see Jesus today. See him in all the things we've already done. See him in the songs we've sung and the prayers that have been prayed and the word that's been read and the sermon that's being preached and soon through communion that we'll take. Christ is more real. He's more real and more alive than you might now realize but he's available to you. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to rescue and redeem you. It's always fine to have questions and doubts and uncertainties. But listen, don't reject Christ because you have a wrong idea or wrong information about who Jesus is. Don't reject the gospel because of an incorrect view. Don't reject Jesus because of the sins of Jesus's people. Jesus is here before you, inviting you to himself. So like we saw last week, look to Jesus in his word. Take time to read the Bible. 
Look to Jesus and his people. Get to know other followers of Christ. Look to these things and see the real and risen Jesus and come alive. Come alive. Look on him who was crucified and raised and come alive like Thomas did. In these last two verses of this section, John makes a final foundational statement that undergirds our call to be the sent and sending as we go to see the skeptics saved because believing is life. Look at verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the whole point of this whole gospel story that John is telling. So again, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, take time to read the gospel of John. Look for Christ in it. And what John says here in these last two verses is directly connected to everything we've just seen. John has written down this story about Jesus' life and about Jesus' ministry so that you can see, so that you can believe. And believing, have life. In this, John is modeling the command of verse 21. He's taking the message. He's being a sent one, and he's going and bringing it to others. He's showing us the call of verse 27 to not disbelieve, but to believe. He wants people from every tribe and every language and every nation. He wants you to have life in Christ. Not physical life, but real life, true life, full life, abundant life in and through Jesus. This once dead, now risen Redeemer. And this is why we as a per- church preach Christ crucified week in and week out, not only on Sunday, but all throughout the week in one another's lives. It's all encompassing for all of life. It's water to a weary soul, like Eric said at the beginning. But just in case you're tempted to think that this is only for the start of new life, when Jesus says, so that you may believe, or when John says, so that you may believe, this is for all of life. It's for the continuation of life in Christ. None of us ever move on from our need to set our gaze on our risen Savior. Let me ask you, are you doing that in your life? Are you setting Christ before you? Are you compelled by him to go and tell others about him? Because it's only when we do that that we'll be full of joy. It's only when we do that that we'll be faithful to be the sent and sending. Listen, I don't know where everyone in this room is on your spiritual journey. I know there's people here that are following Christ. I know there's people here that are checking out who Jesus is. I know there's people here that God's doing a work in your life right now. But I do know this, God desires to save people. He desires to save people. He desires to bring life in places of death. And I know that he wants to use you to do that. I mean, think about this for a minute. What would it look like? What would it look like for those of us who are already followers of Jesus or who become followers of Jesus at Sojourn and soon to be RGC? What would it look like for us to take Jesus's call and commission seriously to go into our homes and our neighborhoods, our classrooms and our campuses and our workplaces? What might God do? What if 200 of us committed to going and sharing the gospel with our neighbors and saw just one of our neighbors, one of our coworkers come to know and trust in Christ. Then there's 400 of us. 
going out with the message of the gospel. And we see one other person come to know Christ. Now there's 800 new creations who are now commissioned gospel missionaries in Fairfax in Northern Virginia. And guess what? We don't stop there. We keep sending and we keep going and we keep sharing the gospel and we keep planting churches and we keep commissioning missionaries to go to unreached parts of the world. Church, what might God do in that? What might he do? What might he allow us to be a part of? He doesn't need us. He invites us to participate in seeing people being raised to new life. What might God do if we became the church sent and sending and continue to strive to be that way? J.C. Ryle, who was a pastor from the 19th century and writer, author, said this, no higher honor can be imagined than that of being Christ's ambassadors and proclaiming in Christ's name the forgiveness of sins to a lost world. Sojourn, let's see this as our highest honor and privilege. And may we pray toward that end as God works in us so that he might work through us. We are the church sent and sending, never the church settled. Amen. Every week as we come together, we take communion with one another for multiple reasons. We take it to be reminded and refreshed in the grace of the gospel. We eat this physical meal that's a visible display of what Christ has accomplished for us. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken and given for us. We drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. It's an imaging of the good news of the gospel, that we are reconciled not only to God, but to one another as well. And so as you eat and drink today, may God refresh your soul and lead you to rejoicing in such a way that you can't help but overflow in praise and in proclamation that Jesus really is your only hope, that he really is your greatest treasure to whoever you encounter along the way. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, we're so grateful that you're here this afternoon. We would just ask you not to take communion, but instead to think on what we've talked about today and who Jesus is, because we want you to know him and come alive in him. So if that's where you're at right now, just take a moment in your seat just to pray and to think on these things. And if you're ready to start a relationship with Christ, that you tell him that. Let somebody around you know as well. We'd love to walk with you in your journey. For those of you that will take communion, if you didn't grab the elements on the way in, they're on a table right outside these doors. Go pick those up. Take a moment to pray, to reflect, to repent, and then we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God. We see from Luke 15, you're a God who goes after the one. And God, that when someone repents and believes that the heavens rejoice at even one person, one person. And God, so we pray and we plead that you will save people. God, the people that we know right now that are coming to mind right now, that friend of ours that we long to know Christ, that neighbor we've been talking about with for years about Jesus with, God, the coworker, the family member. God, we we pray that you would save people. Would you give people ears to hear and eyes to see? Would you send us out to be the messengers that deliver the message of hope and grace to them? God, use us to bring about revival. But God, that's not going to happen, we know, unless we set our gaze on the real and risen Jesus. So God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to do that? And may that fuel mission for us. God, by your spirit, empower us always to be the church sent and sending never the church settled. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. 
go in peace. Mm-hmm.